Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the FT Advisor podcast. You're listening to me, Ruby Hinchliffe, Senior Reporter at FT Advisor. And with me today, I have Robert Sinclair, Chief Executive at the Association of Mortgage Intermediaries, and Kate Davies, Executive Director at the Intermediary Mortgage Lenders Association. Welcome both. Good to be here, Ruby. Thank you very much, Ruby. Thanks, guys. And we're here to talk about Amy's Diversity and Inclusion Report, which was published around this time last year. It was a pretty eye-opening report. I'm just going to sort of draw attention to a couple of things which were in it for the benefit of listeners who might not have read it. And and just a sort of cautious trigger warning that, you know, we'll touch on a few things regarding sexual harassment, racism and, and homophobia. So if you do want to skip ahead a few minutes, please do. Some of the things that jumped out at me were that 15% of women surveyed had experienced sexual harassment in one form or another. I, there were some accounts of a woman who had to call down hotel security through the man who was knocking on her door after a conference and another time a man threw his key card at her and told her to meet her upstairs in the room later while people watched on. The report also looked into to instances of racism as well. Um, it referenced people in the industry refusing to pronounce names they didn't recognise um, and it also included a, a quote from a Nigerian employee who said his cases were automatically viewed as fraudulent or risky because of the colour of his skin. And it it also touched on instances of of homophobia too. There were multiple references of suggestions of a a straight pride. And it was also interesting to note that that gay and lesbian colleagues in the mortgage industry are are by far the least likely to report inappropriate behaviour with with 42% of those who experience or witness it choosing not to report it at all. Now that's a whistle-stop tour of the 47-page report, so I recommend you all actually taking taking a look at it um, when you get a moment. Today I, I want to understand what impact that report has had on the mortgage industry to date and, and what still needs to change. Rob, what impact has it had? Well, I think it's had a, a series of impacts. Um, I think it was a stark eye-opener for those of us who were on the steering group who had the initial report back from the market research company. I think there were two or three of us who, um, you know, you kind of know that there's a problem, but it's only when people are given the opportunity to lay it out in their own words in a safe environment that you really begin to learn some of this stuff. Um, So what it did was focus us to think through the implications of that. And one of the biggest challenges we had during the reporting process was keeping everybody on board to report all the things we'd learned as opposed to trying to edit some stuff out or soften the edges. We felt it was important not to do that. What it's allowed us to do, however, is pull together a group of people, about 45 people across the industry, from lenders and brokers, and I'm really grateful to Imla for their support during this process as well, to pull together a group of people who were passionate about this subject, about trying to engineer change. And what we've done is created three working groups, and that's led to us launching a website last week called workinginmortgages.org.uk, which gives a range of opportunities for people to learn more about the issues and solutions that might be there, whether you're a business owner or somebody who works in mortgages, or more importantly, somebody who might be thinking to come to work in mortgages. And I think the other thing that's really changed is we've got much further down the road on having codes of conduct in the industry. Lenders and broker firms have produced code of conduct for their people. And what we have seen at a number of industry events is the compare at the start of the event reminding people that they are actually at a work event and they need to behave in a way that's commensurate with that. There's another element to this which I am aware of and don't get too deeply into, but we have seen a number of instances since that report was published where people have felt able to call out behaviour 
um, where I'm aware that people have been taken out of events and or gone through disciplinary process afterwards with their employers. And I don't think that would have happened at all if we hadn't opened up the sore that effectively sits underneath all of this. So I think things have changed and changed for the better. Are we anywhere near where we need to be? No, probably not. But unless you take the first steps on the journey, you're not actually going to get anywhere further forward than this. I, th I think that's a, a good way of putting it. I think it was a, a good opportunity to, yeah, really dig into something that perhaps no one wanted to dig into and someone had to do it. Kate, what, what about you? What, what impact do you think this report has had on the industry over the last year? Well, I think it came as a bit of a shock to some people. Um, I think it's on one level, it's depressing that we need to have hosts at events reminding people to behave to be polite to each other and to behave with consideration and as educated, considerate adults. But clearly, in some cases, we do need to be, uh, tell people to do that. It's a bit like going into a post office or a, well, anywhere where there's a big sign up saying, we do not tolerate abusive behavior towards our staff. Of course you don't tolerate abusive behavior towards your staff. It's just unacceptable in a civilized society, one would like to think. But the fact that the Amy report uncovered so much activity so much behavior that that women and people of color or with different orientations sexual orientations feel uncomfortable about it's, it's absolutely right it needed to be called out and we needed to do something about it um i'm grateful to robert for being generous in his comments about emma's involvement I and mean, we, we did set up our our own ind group and that has a has a life of its own but it made perfect sense to us to join forces with amy because we all, we're all talking about the same thing and rather than trying to invent our own separate little wheels it made sense to bring all that knowledge and discussion and honesty together and to try and do something constructive. It's very easy to talk about this for a long time and not actually then come up with anything very concrete. And I think the website is a terrific innovation and I hope it's going to help lots of people. It's depressing in a way also for me because I've now been in the industry for over 30 years and working for over 40. That Women in lots of ways have come so far, but on other levels, we seem to be galloping backwards. And I, I can't quite put my finger on why that is, why a, a generation of, of young men and, and women who've, who've grown up, you'd think with a different attitude to parents and grandparents about women's place and equality and, and, and value and all the rest of it, can then somehow, somehow go so haywire in the way they behave to each other. Maybe some of this is driven by social media and people feeling entitled to, to say and do things that they would never do face to face. There's a sort of insidious undercurrent as well, which I think we need to, to get at. It's not just what happens in the face-to-face, -face, um, the meetings, the social events, the whatever it is. It's a, an attitude of mind that somehow it's acceptable to behave in this way towards people, which it's not. And we really need to, to get a handle on that. So absolutely full marks to Amy for having kicked off with the report. It was a bit of a, a shocker for, for some people reading it. But some people do need to be really snapped out of their complacency to, to, to move things forward. It's interesting that you, uh, Kate, touched upon the sort of the online issues as, as well. I don't know, Rob, if you want to cover that at all, but because we kind of talk more about in-person um, instances because that's kind of what the report focused on. But do you think there's also issues with interactions online within the industry? I mean, I, I interact with a lot of brokers online um, through Twitter. A lot of them are very active and there is often a lot of sort of boisterousness, but it's it's not... I've not seen anything that's gone sort of perhaps too far, but it would be interesting to hear from you if, if that's also an issue you're looking at. I think it's a difficult one. I look at, um, I've, I have children, I have grandchildren, I've got a stepson who's 19. Um, the world of social media that they occupy is a challenging one, I think. 
we see situations all the whole time where youngsters find it very difficult to cope with the level of bullying harassment that happens in, in certain parts of the landscape. I don't see, as you say, a huge elements of that in the world of mortgages or financial advice more broadly. But I do see occasionally people making comments about other people that is on the borders of of being dismissive in a way that's not very respectful. The thing about a democracy is we're all should be entitled to views um, and be able to voice them in a way that's non-threatening. And I think that's the challenge in all of this. I don't worry about that element as much, but I do worry still about where we have, and I'm going to say it, you know, we still have too many people who turn up into a work environment, into a social environment, drinking too much or imbibing drugs on occasions, which means you are not going to be in control of yourself. Um, and putting those things together with other things does create an environment where people will do things they might not normally do rationally. Um, and and we, we, we as people who organise events, I don't think we've been great either at creating... Um, we, create, we, we always worry about what the drinks will be at the bar and what the alcohol will be. We never really focus on the soft drinks at an event. And we need to change that landscape as part of this because those people who want to turn up and not drink and feel welcome for being different... And perhaps and, and fair have different menus than just veg and non-veg because that's that's not the right place to be in all of this. We need to think more broadly about all the people who might want to come and participate in events, but don't actually feel welcome because the way we structure them. Mm. Well, we're getting better, but we're still at distances to go. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because when when I went to um, Imna's Expo in, in Birmingham earlier this year, I remember sort of challenging the spokesperson at LNG who was talking about diversity and inclusion because what, what really struck me was this sort of approach of trying to, to appease everyone and, and does this approach really work or does it really kind of make those with unacceptable views sort of feel comfortable and those victims of, of those views feel more alienated? You know, I, I, in my opinion, people need to feel more uncomfortable to, in order to change their behaviour. Otherwise, they can't sort of classify it as, as wrong. And I totally appreciate that you, you need to try and and resonate with everyone in order to kind of catch their attention. But there's a, a worry I have that if you're trying to appease everyone, you might not get as far as you, you want to get. Um, Kate, you, you might want to jump in first on here. Can I come in on that? Because I can remember what was said at that, by, that, by that speaker and I... I, I felt I knew what he was trying to get at in his in his speech. And it's I think it's touched on in the Amy report that a number of white middle-aged men reading that might think, well, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not like that. I'm not I'm not sexist. I'm not racist. No, I don't see colour. I, I I'm not nasty to the girls, sort of thing. And if you if you're going too hard with the criticism or your your proposed solutions, you could actually alienate that group. Um, and some of them start feeling very defensive. So it's 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 not. I don't. I'm not sure appeasement is quite the right right expression. It's it's trying to point out to them. Well, actually, yes, there is a problem. There's a lovely quote in the Amy report where someone says, I'd assume it's a woman, who said that she'd met the head of HR, who was a middle-aged white man, and she'd been speaking to him about problems which had been reported within the firm, and he had his assistant with him. And having had the uh, allegations put to him, he said, I, I, I don't see this. I, I never see anything like this. And his assistant just said quietly, we see it every day. Actually, she said, we see it every bloody day. <laughs> and you know, she was saying to her boss, you don't see it because you, know, you don't see it because you're not looking for it. But that doesn't mean it's not happening. So I, I think it's, it's awareness for a lot of people. You know, it is happening. Wake up and smell the coffee. Uh, we're not getting at, getting at you. We're not trying to appease you. We're just trying to point out that this is an issue and you should be aware of it. And, and when we go back and think of um, the things that really exercised me, um, so 
I think of Floyd, the death of Floyd, and, and how much that, as, as the early days of COVID, got people really into a different mental place, I think, a lot of things that had gone on. And we then had this report and, and st- sat down and really thought deeply about what it is we were trying to achieve at the back end of this. A number of us, white, middle-aged or elderly gentlemen who have been in the industry a long time, sat down and, and, and had real hard think about some of this. And, and most of us agreed we were probably on the bus, but really we are just passengers. We were not being proactive about any of this. We weren't driving the bus. And I think the challenge is how do you engage enough people to want to not just be on the bus, but actually be really active participants in this to engineer and drive change. And I look at this as a a world that says, actually, there's probably only 20% of the population who are energised enough or motivated enough to want to be in that space. There's a broad group in the the middle who are on the bus and actually relatively passive, but being passive, they're almost not doing enough. Then there's the group at the other end who are just never going to come on this journey. And and I can think of lots of those people. um, And whether, and, and, and lots of it's learned behaviour and it's really interesting so I, I have a I have a son who um, I married a Catholic he was baptised a Catholic I'm a Protestant I'm a Glasgow Rangers supporter and I hate Glasgow Celtic now I'm happy to say that I was grew up in a world where I was taught to hate them not just dislike them but to hate yeah. them and when he once said to me I was really like that green and white shirt I was thinking of buying a Celtic one before I could stop myself the words came out of my mouth I'll burn it on your back now, that's unacceptable. That is just pure hatred. But it's built from years of conditioning. And yeah. to break that down is quite difficult. And that's not to would I genuinely have ever done that? No. But the emotion that's, that's raw inside me is that. And there are some people who have been, have that kind of innate sexism, racism, homophobia deeply entrenched in them. And do I think I'll ever win them over? Well, I might be able to marginalise them over time and win over over time. But what I want to do, and, and we all want to do with Amy and Imla and other parts of, of the landscape, is get more of that big body in the middle driving the bus, not on the bus. Because I do, And then we will make it easier to marginalise those other people and get them to a better place. Because I don't, But I think it'll be a hard, hard piece of work to do, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I think that that is very important because... Until people in that perhaps bracket that don't want to change, until they see people who perhaps look a bit like them but aren't like quite like them doing these things, they you know they're going to be more likely to be shamed into doing something about it. Which unfortunately you'd like to think they do it for the right reasons, but some people do generally genuinely need to be shamed into to doing the right thing. I think you're right because there are different pockets of every industry. What are you sort of? What are you both hearing in, on the ground in terms of positive change? I mean, is is the mortgage industry sort of boys' club mentality? And it's definitely one I've, I've sort of experienced as a journalist. Finally, starting to to, to break up a bit. Um, what, what 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 do you think, Kate? I'll come to you first. I, I hope it's changing. I, I I'm not quite close enough to the the day to day to to see that changing on the ground. But I I was certainly welcome. The inclusion of more women coming in as brokers and people with ethnic backgrounds, not least because they represent a large proportion of their customers. And if as a woman you're going for mortgage advice or, or from an ethnic background, it, it's great to see someone who, who you recognise on the other side of the desk or listening to on the other side of the phone. But maybe someone who's not going to patronise you because you're a woman and can't possibly, you know, your pretty little head won't understand all the facts and figures. I, I think that's great to have more diversity with, you know, within the the professional advisory force and that's that's got to be a good thing i hope it will be as a result of um, a younger group of people coming into the industry and that's another big part of what the 
any website is designed to do, to be a resource for people coming into the industry and to persuade them that it's a great industry to get into. They can do a terrific job helping people, advising people. As for the actual numbers coming through, I, I'm, I'm not well positioned to, to judge on that. I think Robert may have a bit more of that at his, his fingertips. Yeah, I think I think we're in that strange space at the moment in almost transition. I was at an event, um, an awards event um, in the protection industry a couple of weeks ago, and the gender split there was 52% male, 48% female. Much better than I've seen anywhere else before. I saw you there. there I were, agree. <laughs> yeah, there, there were people of colour there in a reasonable preponderance, but not anywhere. Probably thinking about the split across the country, probably we're not there yet, but getting better. So the protection sector appears to be moving better than the mortgage space and probably even better than the investment space around some of that, maybe not. I still think there's real issues because I look at those particular pockets where we're beginning to see black men in positions of more senior responsibility, but I'm not seeing any black women getting to those places of responsibility. I hear too often tales of people who are in that ethnic minority background who decide that they're going to step aside from working in a larger company and set up their own company because they don't feel comfortable in the large company where they operate and therefore think they'll feel safer and be able to find the client base they want um, out of their own ethnic background operating their own company. Now, that's not good. So we need to find ways of breaking that down. What I would say is that one of our one of our team leaders who was working on the project to create the new website wrote to us after the launch the other day. Um, and she said... Diversity has been invited to the party. Inclusivity is being invited to dance. She said, I am dancing in a way I never thought I'd be able to dance in this industry until six months ago. She said, we, she told me, you've managed to put together a group of people who make me feel safe to meet me and make me feel safe to talk about the things that worry me most. Now, if I've just done that for one person, that's a, that's, I'm proud of that. I know we've probably created that opportunity for a lot more. And there are a range of initiatives happening, not just in what we are doing, but other people across the industry, to trying to create this position in place where people can feel much happier and safe to be themselves in a world where those people who are finding it difficult have somewhere to go and talk, somebody to go and speak to. We can create mentoring structures and growth structures where we help them grow not just as people, but also professionally. And, and how we deliver that is really, really important because if we don't do that, we will actually not be able to service the population that's coming through tomorrow. And that would be a crime because we need to find a way of creating an industry that replicates society. And we do that, then actually, and it's a dirty word, but it will help us to make more income and be more profitable and be better. And being successful, yes, you have to make a profit. That's the ticket to the game. If you're not making a profit, you cannot survive. But if you can then make a profit by doing it in the right way with the right culture and the right dynamics, then that is where we should aspire to be as, as a responsible society. Sure. Yeah, I, th I think that you're, you're exactly right there. And, and I think that there's a plenty of research out there to show that, that actually diverse workforces do um, result in, in much better um, performance from a sort of profit standpoint, but also just from the products that you create. I mean, if you're on the provider side, um, they're a lot more inclusive um, to different uh, demographics of customers. Mm -hmm. And then I imagine on an advice side, you, you're going to sort of resonate more with, with um, your clients if you can actually really understand where they're coming from and, and listen um, and perhaps even relate a bit more than, than you know, I guess your traditional older white male advisor would. And, and I mean, we've kind of touched a little bit on on what still needs to change. And it's, it's really, really great to hear that actually, you know, this has made quite a big difference and people are talking about it. People do feel safer. I think that's that's really positive. And but 
it'd be really interesting just to hear from you what you still think needs to change. Um, I mean, we've, like I said, we've touched on it, but if you want to sort of summarise, that would be that would be really helpful. And then also, kind of, I think we should talk about a little bit why minorities might not feel like they can speak out, or whether they feel like they can a little bit more now than they could a year ago. Um, Kate, I'll come to you first. I think, ironically, we need to look at the description of inclusivity and make sure it stays sufficiently wide. And by that, I mean, there's a a slight risk maybe that it becomes dominated by the gender debate or the race debate or the sexuality debate or ethnicity. Things like mental health are coming in now. And I think that's that's really important that people who've got men have had mental health problems or who have them, the, the sort of invisible issues that someone may look perfectly healthy and, and happy and well adjusted may then go off the rails for a bit but feel very uncomfortable about talking about it i think an estimated 20 percent of us are going to have mental health issues at some stage during our lives it's maybe even higher than that now there's still a bit of a taboo about it it's getting better i can see that i know that from my own family people within my family who've had issues and had to have treatment and and, and have come through the other side very well my own sort of peer group age group were much more accepting about what was happening this older generation found it very, very difficult. It was, it didn't happen. It was very taboo. It, it, did, you know, it was a blot on the family escutcheon. I think we're growing up from that and getting away from it, but it doesn't mean that the problems are any less. And the other group, which I think is in danger of being forgotten, is those with other disabilities, for want of a better term, physical disabilities. They're still very underrepresented in the workforce, I believe, but there, it may be speech or uh, hearing or sight impairment. It may be a physical issue. But if we're going to be inclusive, they need to be fully brought on board too. People need to understand a lot, a lot more about that. And again, you know, when I was a little girl growing up, and and someone was walking along with calipers or, or, or you know, obviously you know, cerebral palsy or something, the attitude of I'm afraid my mother's generation was, oh, oh don't look away, darling. Oh, oh, it's it's terrible, but don't stare, don't don't look at them. And and this was something you mustn't look at, and it must be hidden away. That I'm sure has changed. Nowadays, you see a guy walking down the street with a metal leg, and you think, good on you, mate. Were you in Afghanistan? And there's a sort of pride almost in in, in seeing someone who's, who's who's managing to cope with a disability like that. But where are those people working? Are they being given access to the same? Um, opportunities are they being told that the, the the workplace isn't suitable for them they can't get around or whatever I think I think it's another whole whole area it's maybe opening up a, another can of worms or another work stream for the for the uh, website but hey let's be inclusive no I, I agree I think we've we've definitely neglected that that um, part of the DNI conversation and I, but I think that we've probably by doing that have proved a point that it is a very underrepresented part of the of the I guess phrase DNI Rob do you, do you have anything to add yeah, and, and this is this is such a, a broad set of issues um, where, and, and I can remember, you know, first starting to try to address gender imbalance issues back when I was working in Midland Bank in the 80s. And here we are, got almost 40 years later, still not at a point where I would have wanted us to be anywhere close to back then. And then, but as, as I keep saying, the issues are multiplying outwards as we genuinely begin to understand the levels of discrimination, whether it's passive or active that are around just because we're not we don't think broadly enough about how we can help all sorts of people to fulfill their lives and you know there's a there's a there's a bigger and we talk a lot about ticking time bombs in our industry one of the biggest ticking time bombs that i worry about because i've begun to understand it an awful lot more over the last two or three years is the m the m issue menopause in a world where you bring more and more women into the workforce at senior levels and who are going to work through their 50s and 60s. 
we need to really think about how debilitating the menopause can be for those people for a period of time. And we have a situation at the moment where our National Health Service is not tooled up to cope with those people. What we've done is built a rich resource of really, really good, valuable people in great jobs doing really wonderful stuff. But the risk is the carpet gets pulled away from underneath them by something that is capable of being dealt with. And that, that has to be fundamentally wrong. So, And it's a bit like we think we may have a cure for cancer now. This just means a lot of more people are going to get dementia and we're going to find a different way of dealing with all the things that happen because of that. And we've created a situation which is absolutely right where we've got women fulfilling themselves in a workplace. But we need to make sure we put our arms around them and look after them in a way that really is helpful as they're going through that processes, which will be invisible to most people and are really difficult to talk about for many people. Um, and that, that for me is a big issue around making sure we protect it's a word that I think is inclusivity is, is about protecting sometimes and, and nurturing and um, growing. Um, and I think one of the hardest parts, and, it's, and I, I probably realise this more than me as I, as I reach the latter stages of my career, and the ambition is burning out gradually. As you're growing and ambitious and really want to climb the ladder, you'll almost do anything to get there. Instead of standing back and really thinking about there's lots of bouquets to go around. I will probably look better if I give roses away rather than try to grab them all for myself. And one of the things we have to think about and teach people earlier in their work career and creating companies is being inclusive and helpful and embracing is more liable to help you to be successful than purely being the best at the job. Maybe we think about all of that as a cultural thing. Definitely, sense. definitely. And and as as someone who's, who sort of struggles with endometriosis, I mean, even earlier in a woman's mm. life, that sort of thing massively impacts work. But it's it is invisible, and it's not treated seriously. It's not even treated seriously by GPs. Is is the problem? If it's not treated seriously by GPs, how are people in the workplace going to treat it seriously? So I've definitely had first hand experience of that, and I think it's brilliant that you you're raising that, and hopefully talking about all these different things um, will, will help people, you know, um, in their respective workplaces to, to really think about what they're doing for, for people who suffer from these different things. I want to thank you both very much, uh, Rob and Kate, for giving you uh, your time today. It was, it's been a really good discussion. It's been really frank and I think it will really benefit a lot of listeners. Um, we publish new podcasts every week, so please do check them out. Otherwise, until next time. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.